This, this, this is a Tape Deck Podcast. Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, your one-stop shop to get ready for the new Dune movie. This week, I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason. So I was a little bored, but like, I didn't blame the movie. I blame myself. And by the creator of Netflix's The End of the Effing World, and I Am Not Okay With This, and the hit podcast, Bat and Spider, Chuck Forsman. That's a tough choice. Do you run or shoot? Because your heart's about to explode. And by contender for the title, Dune Pod's third host and graphic designer extraordinaire, Catcher. This dude shows up to fight and find the president and doesn't even bring a jacket. We continue our John Carpenter triple feature with his 1981 classic dystopian sci-fi action movie that catapulted Kurt Russell's career, Escape from New York. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts as it really helps new listeners find the show. And now, without further ado, Escape from New York. I'm connected to my friend's internet three floors above me in a giant concrete building. (laughs) Whoops. Instead of my own home Wi-Fi. I'm a professional, guys, but it's been a while. If we get three patrons, we will pay catcher's (laughs) ISP bill. (laughs) We will buy an Ethernet cable that you can plug into your router. Well, we're, we're really excited to be back from our summer break, uh, a little rougher, a little worse for wear, but, but recharged. And um, we were originally meant to have Scotty Young uh, tonight, and unfortunately, he was not able to make it with a last-minute commitment that came up. But we are so thrilled and blessed and thankful to have Chuck, the creator of Netflix's End of the Effing World, and mm. I Am Not Okay With This, and even more importantly, half of Bat and Spider hit Tape Deck podcast. Oh, yeah. Great show. Welcome, sir. Thank you. And Catcher, our contender for Dune Pod's third host title, and also our incredible graphic designer. So, Catcher, thank you. We're so glad to have you here. Yeah, happy to be here. Super stoked to be here. Awesome. Well, so last week, while we were on vacation, we had Slim on and we kicked off, you know, season four, the big ones. And we knew that we were going to be doing John Carpenter. And so Slim jumped into our bonus episode and brought John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. What do you think about that one, Chuck? I love Prince of Darkness. Alice Cooper? Yeah, it was like one of the last Carpenters that I like finally saw. Actually, I still haven't seen Memoirs of an Invisible Man. I haven't seen that. But uh, yeah, that one blew me away. Nice. I love that one. It's good horror and religious and and <laughs> physics physics psychological uh, philosophical discussions, uh, but quite fun. Uh, so we are continuing our journey tonight with their 1981 first like big 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 time. I think it was like their second or third time actually collaborating, but this was the huge collaboration to put these guys over the top. Kurt Russell, John Carpenter, Escape from New York. Mm. Whoa. Next week on Dune Pod, just one week later for us, just one year later for Kurt Russell and John Carpenter as they reunite for the apex of their career together, 1982's classic science fiction horror film, The Thing. Wow. Also, I've never seen this. I- I'm on a real journey right now. Wow. I'm, this is three, oh. three weeks in a row in which I've not seen the movie. Catcher, how are you on The Thing? Oh, I love the thing. That movie's awesome. And the trailer for the new one, but not the actual movie. The trailer for the remake is good. The movie is poopy. Oh. And the original is, I mean, well, the John Carpenter one is awesome. So good. The remake, is it a, isn't it a prequel? Yeah. Okay. We don't have to talk about it. It's not a good movie. Okay, yeah. Well, I will let people know that uh, the thing is currently streaming on Stars. And it's available for rental in all the regular places in 4K. Whoa. You can only imagine. Those practical effects in 4K are going to be gorgeous. All right. Well, how about if we get down to some business with some Dune news? Would you like to know more? Dune news. (laughs) (laughs) So Dune 
is burning up the international box office. We did it, Joe. We did it. (laughs) Give us your thoughts, Jason, please. I am feeling very confident right now. I am feeling just really the best I've felt in years, if I'm being honest. Yeah, the um, the international box office is really strong. The week over week drop off numbers are really strong. Thirty two percent has that ever been done before? Thirty two percent week over week. I think week. this is this is essentially the first blockbuster movie of the twenty first century. Is what I'm I'm mm. starting to I'm starting to feel. No, it's going really well. I think it's I think it's pretty clear at this point the movie is going to work, um, barring like some kind of exogenous event like you know all of the theaters have to shut down in a month which the way that the last couple of years is going certainly not outside the realm of possibility mm. uh, i was i was trying to game out scenarios where like if the debt ceiling does you know extension <laughs> isn't passed how does that affect the dune box office stay tuned unclear at this time but yeah it's it's looking good for our guy denny new towns hell yeah and I know Chuck, you get the you probably get deadline delivered to your house every day. You wake up in the morning. Oh yeah, I'm a big numbers guy. <laughs> All I think about. Your impressions how you feeling about Dune? You think we're going to be okay? I mean, what do you mean okay? Well, like, we worry a lot about whether we'll be able to make part 2 because the film is this is only oh. the first half of the first book. So we're worried about getting that green light, you know? They have not greenlit 2 yet. Not yet. Have you heard about this movie Dune that's coming out? No <laughs> idea. You, you, <laughs> how do you spell it? <laughs> it's D-U-N-C. D-U-N-C. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so we're really excited. 78 million in the first two weeks. Um, you know, I think we'll be over 100 million by the time we get to the US premiere, which means that opening weekend will already be across 200 million. So things are looking real good. So stay tuned for more updates, uh, but we're happy about the box office. Mm. Second piece of Dune news. So I was in Raleigh, North Carolina. At Drams and Drafts at 1 a.m. when I got the notification from the Mill Valley Film Festival. Dune Pod has been cleared as correspondence with press credentials for the Mill Valley Film Festival red Mm. carpet. Basically the most absurd email I've ever received. But I'm, I'm very grateful. We're a legit operation in case the Mill Valley Film Festival is listening now. So what does this mean? You gotta get cameras? We get to go on the red carpet. We're going to go cover the film festival and Denny wow. Villeneuve's arrival at the uh, whatever constitutes a red carpet in Marin, which is probably like just zoning restrictions, I guess. I don't know really what that looks <laughs> so like. So will you like need to be filming with a camera or recording with the recorder yeah. with a microphone like at the line there? Yeah. That's what you're doing? One of us is doing audio. One of us is doing video. Um, we may bring one of our toddler children to serve as a third camera oh, person. that's good. <laughs> The sympathy call out. Um, yeah. yeah, so nice. we're, we're really Denny, excited. Denny, hold this baby, please. A- exactly. Hold my baby. Apparently, it's poor form to ask for a selfie, but like, how many chances do you get to get a selfie with Denny Villeneuve? Don't ask for a selfie. Don't do that. Don't ask First for and last press credential. Don't ask for a yeah. selfie. It's <laughs> well, not cool. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Jason has a question. I have a question. We haven't sorted out whose question is going to get asked first. We haven't sorted out who's going to be asking the questions and how, how that's all going to work. So stay uh, tuned. It's just, it's just just great. It's just going to be great. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. And we hope to bring honor upon the House of Dune Pod. All right, let's move on. Every week we have new friends uh, who join our Discord and our community. And we love and welcome everyone coming over. So here's who's new just in the last week and a half. KK joining us from the 70 millimeter Patreon. One 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 one. Ivano, M Boyle, Roy Blunt. Is this the former senator? Yeah, Roy isn't Blunt? that a real yeah, person? Yeah, Missouri Senator Roy Blunt. <laughs> okay. Ben C. Walter O five. Shade Hoop. Ancient Reptilian Brain. Manic Marsupial and Toyman Twenty Twenty. Toyman Welcome. 2020. That's a great name. It's great to have you. I will say, uh, the last couple, last couple and days- And Revenger. Sorry, Revenger. And Revenger is here. Chuck joined too. Uh, last couple days, the Dune Pod Discord has been kicking up a little bit. There's been a little bit more, little bit more free-flowing convo about various pop culture matters. Uh, it's been a good time. If you're not in there, please check the invite in the show notes. Hell yeah. All right. 
You guys ready? Yeah. Let's do it. What do we set the time machine to, uh, 1981 or 1997? Great question. Let's or, go with or, 19... Or 88, right? Because there's like three days. Like the year the movie is made, the year the prison was built, and then the year the movie mm. takes place. Right. Center Not Rules would take us to like 1980 or uh, something. Actually, 1973 was when Carpenter wrote the first draft of the script. That was also the last time a Synonauts episode came out. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's why I'm so rusty. Catcher was negative 27 years old. <laughs> but this is part of, this is like the scene where like the guy's like coming out of retirement and he's still got like the extra pounds and he's starting to like work it out. So Catcher, you'll be like back in full fighting form Perfect. as a podcaster by the end of this episode. So. Should we be watching yeah. Rocky instead then maybe? Rocky <laughs> just the montage. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's get into this movie. Escape from New York is a fight for freedom in a dark possible future. Snake Plissken is a highly decorated veteran of the Sino-Russo War who was cast aside by his government and forced to turn to a desperate life of violent crime. Now, Faced with a life sentence on a New York island that has been walled off and transformed into a maximum security prison, he is offered one final chance at redemption. Retrieve the president who's been kidnapped and crash-landed onto that very island. With time running out before his life is terminated in less than 24 hours, Snake will find himself hunted and on the run on the streets, rooftops, and subways of the city. Will he find the president and get him back to his world of safety and freedom, or will he discover that there is no escape from New York? Yes. Okay. Wow. Do you always put the name of the movie in at the end? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's the most dramatic part of every episode. As Art points out in chat, it was a little less dramatic this week. You didn't have a you didn't have a ton of room to maneuver on this particular <laughs> title. Still. You built up the the tension. Uh huh. All right. Well, so Chuck, get me started here. Jason had never seen this film before. I was looking for folks who had some nostalgia factor. So, what is your exposure to Escape from New York? Yeah, I I think uh, my first exposure was just the poster. I think my my older mm. brother Zach introduced me to a lot of movies. Um, I don't think he had a poster. I think he had like printouts from a magazine or something that he like colored himself uh and i vividly remember seeing that and um i think i was scared of it because it, it's not like a a movie that draws in a little kid like it's because it's so dark and mm. you know dystopian it's like i mean dystopian now i guess the kids love but not back in the 80s hmm. so i honestly don't remember the first time i saw it but it was always in my life and in recent years, it's really shot up there. I got to see it in a theater in Paris, of all places. Whoa. Like three wow. years ago. And it was like one of the best movie-going experiences I've ever had. In English? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Catcher, how about you? Well, interesting connection, because I started the movie today, and I had rented the French version. So, oh. Canada, <laughs> this is a problem you run into in Canada constantly. You need to be meticulous when you check for the things when you rent, you have to check the language because there's a 50-50 chance you've gotten the French one. And this happens to me more times than I'd care to admit. Wow. That's amazing. So what'd you do? You re-rent? I just, yeah, I, I canceled it and then rented the other one. Okay. Send your receipts yeah, to Tape Deck. Invoice us. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Invoice Ian. He's accounts payable. I've seen how they treat Bat and Spider. I'm just going to, I'm going to comp this one myself. I don't need to deal <laughs> With that kind of paperwork. You guys are sending receipts? I didn't know about that. It's a new, it's a new policy. We'll discuss it at the, uh, at the next Tape Deck Summit coming soon. Okay. Um, but this was my first time watching it, actually. Uh, my mom was much too uncool for me to be watching like action movies growing up. It was like True Lies was probably the most action movie I'd seen growing up. And that was like, sure. I slipped it in at my friend's house one evening. So I, I'm now going back to like watching all kinds of like, famous 80s uh action movies over the last few years and so this was like a perfect opportunity to like to visit this and to see what what all the hoopla is about you should probably take a look at the dune pod set list because i think you're gonna find some some hits there perfect. so jason this was also your first time 
Yeah, I was so ignorant of this movie that like it was only fairly recently when I realized that uh, Solid Snake from Metal Gear Solid was obviously a reference to Escape from New York. <laughs> right, right. Like it, I was like, oh yeah, like that's an amazing invention in that video game. Uh, good work. <laughs> so I was excited to see that in this movie. Yeah, I really, I didn't know this movie at all. Never seen it. Amazing. I've seen this movie so many times. Absolutely love it. I uh, definitely had it in you know the the year that it came out or within a year or two, um, and have watched it many 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 times and just really love it for the atmosphere and the experience. And Kurt is is phenomenal. So let's get into this. Um, so it starts out with some beautiful exposition and it's really it's really tight, right? And it starts with mm-hmm. in, in 1988, 1988 the, crime the crime rate in the United States rises 400 percent. The once great city of New York becomes the one maximum security prison for the entire country. A 50-foot containment wall is erected along the New Jersey shore. And he gives the description about how it's been walled off, you know, in Brooklyn and and all these other areas. Just super efficient. Um, And you also have the demonstration of uh, the attempted escape by people on a raft. And you see that these guys are not messing around in enforcement. Yeah, I'll say that exposition is very tight. What's less tight is the three and a half minutes of opening credits that that like lead up to that. Uh-huh, like John uh-huh. Carpenter <laughs> fucking loves credits. the three and a half to 28 minute <laughs> opening credits of just like slow moody synths, which I love. So that's fine. But like of basically nothing else happening. It's a very specific choice. Mm. Set in the mood. Mm. You got to clear the palette. Mm. Yeah. And it's the same font as uh, as Prince of Darkness for the credits. Yeah, um, he likes that font. I really liked. Um, so we have you know Snake arriving for processing on Liberty Island, and so you have this great shot of you know the Statue of Liberty, and then coming down and through the guard spot, and then to the helicopters and the buses and whatnot. Um, just a really really beautiful shot, and constructed from a couple of different things that they did, uh, putting them together to create that. But just really really awesome. Was this mm-hmm. budget bit like I don't need the specific numbers, but was it a, like a big budget movie or it was a small budget movie? Five, Five million. Budget. They spent it all on the helicopters in the first like fifteen <laughs> minutes of this movie. <laughs> like when I first started watching, and I was like, "Did they just give him all this money to make this huge movie?" And I was like, "There's so many sets. There's so many helicopters. There's so much like stuff going on." I was like super impressed. Mm. Yeah. So to do it with five million is like wow. I guess like they, you sort of notice that as the film goes on, where the sets just kind of blend together and there's a lot of just like rooms with garbage on the floor but i just think like they set the tone so nicely at the beginning where it's like they give you all of this like offhanded world building that like sets up the rest of the movie really well Mm -hmm. yeah the movie's really front loaded with a lot of their effect shots yeah especially when he goes in with the glider too all the you know that's all miniatures right i definitely want to talk about the glider because that part is is amazing but before we get there there is like some some really great exposition that that is unfolding and one piece i love is so as snake is walking down the orange line following to get into processing <laughs> the voiceover says uh the next scheduled departure to the prison is in two hours you now have the option to terminate and be cremated on the premises. Yeah. yeah. That sets a tone. Uh, definitely the fact that you don't even get a burial in this option. You're just <laughs> right. going to be like fucking Folgers crystal. In the compost. Yeah. Yeah. Dale says Jamie Lee did the uh, that voiceover. What? Jamie Lee, Jamie, Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah. John Carpenter collaborator. Halloween. Halloween 2. Wow. Wow. Facts from Dale. My God. Dale. Wow. All right, Chuck, talk to us about this National Liberation Front. So these guys are pretty radical, and they have hijacked Air Force One. What's your What's your take on these guys? Are you calling me because of my politics? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, on, the, you're um, on, on the progressive end. I, w- I will say, when I, I, I just watched this right before we got on, and that scene, I, I literally got chills in my body when the, <laughs> the terrorist lady is saying, this is for the workers, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're going to fucking take this plane down with the In president. the name of the workers and all the oppressed of this imperialist country. Exactly. We've struck yes. a fatal uh, blow to the racist police state. Chills right now, even through you saying it. It's amazing. Mm. Chuck has that it's tattooed so on his chest. You've never seen it, but it's there. The whole, that whole, <laughs> that whole speech is there as a reminder. I think that the Liberation Front are the only heroes in the movie. 
Like, I think they're the mm. only ones who really, you know, you could legitimately be like, all right, like, given the world mm. that they're in, like, this seems like a reasonable, this seems like a reasonable course of action for them. Uh, everyone else seems to kind of suck. So one quick question. So this was not like coordinated with anybody in New York, right? This was, this was just, they, they went to go take out the president. And he happened to survive because he got into the pod, the big red egg that allowed him to survive the landing. Totally absurd. Yeah, I think my take was that they were just, you know, causing a terrorist event. They're causing chaos. Mm. You know, love the pod though. The pod is pod super is great. Amazing. The super red egg for the president is awesome. Okay, no, no, hold on, hold on. You're against <laughs> it? I'm not. I'm not against it. The pod is a smart idea from an engineering standpoint or a design standpoint. This is a design it. thing. So okay. all of it's fine. The only thing I have a problem with is you eject this thing out the back of the plane, right? So the idea right. is like, we, this is a last ditch effort. We need to save the president. We need to get him out of the plane. Clearly, wherever he's going to land is like not ideal, no matter right. the circumstances. Right. The last thing you need to do is put a giant seal that says like, <laughs> hey, the president of the United <laughs> States is inside this. It's right. like, of course, whoever's coming by is going to grab that guy. If it's just an egg, maybe they think it's a bomb. They'll leave it alone. They won't touch it. In this case, it's like an open invitation. Like the guy yeah. inside you're going to want to kidnap as soon as you find this. That would be easier. Slap that on the front and you'd be fine. This is a classic problem with the federal government of not having designers involved in the UX of the products that they're creating. They just got to slap that sticker on everything. Yeah. <laughs> Unnecessary. Uh, I will say it hit different for me, two things. A, seeing the plane crash into a building. Yeah. Um, in lower Manhattan. In lower Manhattan. And then also just seeing the World Trade Center and seeing the two towers with the, you know, the power off, but just wreathed in the darkness. Like they were a really, really potent and important symbol. Mm -hmm. That really hit me. This is the first time I've watched it since 9-11. Yeah. The thing I always just think of when I watch this is like, Try making this movie post 9-11, like yeah. all this yeah. stuff. And, you know, yeah. you could not do it. No way. I do like that the president, before he fucking yeets himself out in the giant red ball, says, God save me and watch over you all. Like, I think that's a great, that's a great <laughs> yeah, what validation. A like, <laughs> I got mine. You're fine. <laughs> Uh, so now we have the introduction of Lee Van Cleef as Hawk. Bob Hawk, the police commissioner. What do yeah. you think about this guy? Great. It's the king. He's Unreal. Great. Yeah, he's great. His presence is amazing in this movie. He didn't mm -hmm. need the earring. I think that was unnecessary. <laughs> is that a John the Carpenter? Earring... Like, he struck me as very much doing John Carpenter. Mm. Oh, you think know. it's a director proxy? I think so. I don't know. I think it's like uh, Carpenter loves Westerns, and there's a lot of Western influence in this movie. So mm. getting Lee Van Cleef was sort of that part of that recipe i think I, I just remember as a kid being really struck by him like he just an amazing presence and the intensity there is really good yeah i mean the conversation how can snake have at the beginning you know when he's laying it out and you know this is the situation i know who you are uh just the the tension between these two unbelievable i could listen to that that scene just the audio of it over and over and over again. So, so first of all, Snake emerging from the shadows, like the top of his body is hidden in shadow, and then he comes forward. You know, Snake tells him, this is a running thing, Snake says, call me Snake, and Hawk says, Two purple hearts, Leningrad and Siberia, youngest men to be decorated by the president. He robbed the Federal Reserve Depository, life sentence, New York Maximum Security Penitentiary. Just that idea in 1981, when this movie comes out, for you to say that he's been decorated in Leningrad and Siberia at the peak of the Cold War, like, you know what the fuck is going on. Like, it was intense, uh, this idea of us being at a full-blown war with Russia and China. Yeah. Take mm -hmm. note, movie makers. This is how you world build. Mm -hmm. My God. I don't need to see a shot of the war happening in Leningrad. Mm. <laughs> that line's right. enough. Right. Honestly, like... <laughs> I didn't even, like, because this was the first time I watched it. I'm racing to watch through it to make it in time to record. I didn't catch any of his credentials, but he walked out of the bus with the eye patch, and that's literally all I needed to know. Like, mm. he came out, and I was just like, this guy's clearly the most badass dude that they could find, because look at this guy. That All you need to know is, like, what he looks like. He peruses some gadgetry and some guns. You're like, great. This yeah. is He doesn't even need yeah. a jacket. This dude shows up to fight and find 
the president and doesn't even bring a jacket. He's got a sleeveless shirt on. And that's all. I was like, "Where's yeah. the, where's the jacket though?" This is the Canadian perspective. <laughs> Clearly, the the coolest fucking dude that's ever lived. This is crazy. The Canadian perspective is he needs a hoodie. He's Not got even a hoodie, a, just a jacket, light jacket? windbreaker. So <laughs> literally anything. It's like that's gonna impede him. He doesn't need that extra shit. He's fine. It's amazing. I mean, we should say this is like baby Kurt Russell. You know, coming out hot off of. Uh, the Elvis movie and right. before that just a bunch of Disney movies he was like a Disney actor and this is like him coming out fully formed as a, a action hero prototype. could have been Han like, Solo almost yeah. yeah I have to I have to say though too like n- movies nowadays especially action movies like this isn't a comedy but there's like something humorous about it woven into it yeah. that like nowadays action movies completely dismissed it's like everything gets so serious and like there are serious things that happen in this but there's like a levity to this movie that is just like was really impressive like comforting to me somehow like i was just like why don't movies made like this so that was the that was the influence of nick castle who carpenter brought in he had the script rattling around um and when he was getting the green light to make it he brought in nick castle to basically polish it make it more human and to punch up the humor which I think was really, really effectively, effectively done. So we have the layout here. There's 24 hours. They have to get the president because the president's supposed to go to the Hartford summit meeting. And if he doesn't get there in time, China and Russia will go home and he needs a tape in his briefcase. And so Snake asks, what's on the tape? And he says, you know anything about nuclear fusion, Pliskin? It's a survival of the human race, something you don't give a shit about. Um, And then he proceeds to implant secretly two small explosive bombs in Snake's neck and then tell him he has 23 hours before they are going to explode. So that is an extremely effective technique for driving tension in this film, especially in See, the final act. This is why you got to do your research about these vaccines because you just don't know. <laughs> you don't know what's in them. No, Jason, no. <laughs> oh, All right, so man. now we're on the goal fire. So Snake is going in and he is taking this micro glider. So Chuck... Talk to me about the lighting inside this cockpit and the displays that we have. Oh yeah, I mean just a just a masterclass in old school special effects. I mean, mm. yeah. I mean there were you know they. I watched some of the docs with the effects guys, and they're like, "Yeah, we we're lucky that it was set at night because that would have been a different situation." I th- I think that helps this movie age a lot better mm. with the effects because you know flying around a cardboard New York City in the dark looks a lot better than if they were trying to like do a fully lit thing. And as I understand it, they originally were going to do like a computer simulation or something like vector graphics or whatever. And then that didn't work. So they literally just took black light tape and put it on the miniatures and then filmed that. Yeah, Is that correct? I think, yeah, yeah. I think that's what they did. Yeah. It looks amazing. Yeah. It's fantastic. It looks so, so good. Cool. All this bullshit they did for Tron like three years later, they should have skipped that and just yeah. gotten some fucking tape. Well, I was thinking of War Games, right? So you talked a lot about that, like the amount of renderings that they did for that. But I guess that yeah. was four years, four years later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like stuff like even uh, I, I read about the uh, the water for the river, the mm-hmm. like when he's flying over the Hudson and there's like ripples, it looks like waves. That was just like the cement in the studio. They were building the New York set just happened the cement just happened to have ripples in it and they accidentally like one day it got wet and they were like hey that looks like waves and uh mm. and then they shot it and they're like oh my god it looks amazing that's, hmm. so cool. that's wild i absolutely love the interior of the cockpit and yeah. there's the green light on snake's face and the red light behind him so that he is like wreathed in this incredible view gorgeous oh, yeah. it's like pre-iron man like it's obviously not the same but it's sort of that same mm. thing of like a dude inside a like a space you know and like all the technology that he's able to to see just the way you see the city it just looks so cool it feels high tech incredible so he lands on top of the world trade center and takes the secret elevator that's in place for the government to be able to get in and out and ends up on the streets of manhattan which are a complete wasteland with trash and just absolute dystopian you know nightmare all over the place and in context this is just five years after gerald ford denied new york's near bankrupt uh new york request for a federal bailout prompting the line ford to city drop dead um 
where people were like whole like blocks in what the Bronx were burning. And, and the on, Bronx is burning. And yeah, yeah. it was a bad mm-hmm. scene. So they're like, how do we possibly find a place that is so post-apocalyptic it could pass for New York City? And they're like, oh, just go to St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, what's up, St. Louis? I didn't know that. Is that what they did? <laughs> yeah, that's what they did. Yeah. Oh, oh no. my hometown. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they found like, because the, St. Louis had like uh, a, fire. Had a lot of abandoned stuff, but they, yeah, there were like a couple blocks that were burned out from like a fire a few years before they shot. Yeah. And it Did you know about this, still hadn't been renovated, I guess. And they're like, yeah, this is perfect. It is a perennially true statement for the past 70 years that there are several blocks of St. Louis that were just burned out. Like St. Louis, <laughs> St. Louis, like in, in the beginning of the 20th century, St. Louis was the fourth largest city in the United States. What? And yeah. And then by the end of the 20th century, it was the like the 28th or 29th most populous city. It has lost wow. population consistently huh. for over a century because of white flight and the expansion of the suburbs and like redlining and terrible tax policy and all these like really uh, horrible regressive politics. Um, and so there are vast swaths of St. Louis, the city that are abandoned where there'll be one house on a block that still is, uh, occupied. Hmm. Yeah. We have a flash to the master life clock. It's a big ass clock. We have production designed by Joe Alves who did close encounters jaws. And I just love that all the tech, like the gadgets that snake has the cars, the weapons, the environments, um, Air Force One, when Snake goes and he walks through the ruins of Air mm-hmm. Force One, that was a real DC-8 airplane that they bought and broke into pieces and trucked in without a permit and dumped in Missouri, <laughs> shot, and then got it the hell out of there. Like, just wow. really amazing. Crazy. Well, it was, in, it was in St. Louis. I think that's why it was convenient. Oh, really? Yeah, because they were trying to get, like, parts of planes, Yeah. Um, like in California, but then the guy at the airplane store was like... <laughs> hey, there's a DC-8 for sale in St. Louis. <laughs> and they're like, shit. And they got on a plane, went back to St. Louis. That's amazing. Interesting. Well, listen, when you're in New York, you want to catch a show. So Snake heads to Everyone's Coming to New York, the musical, which has lyrics such as, The Big Apple is fun. Stab a priest with a fork. Spend your vacation in New York. Rob a bank. Take a truck. You can get here by stealing a buck. And on and on. That rendition was glorious. That was great, age. <laughs> I I thought when that started playing that it was like on the town, like an actual you know the you know the Bronx is up and the batteries. I down. always wondered like, that because I'm not like I'm not a musicals guy, so I was always wondering if it was like a take on a an existing. Yeah, song. I think it is meant to evoke on the town. But okay. when it was stab a priest with a fork, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> that doesn't seem right. <laughs> that doesn't seem. I don't remember that. And how about Cabby? We we get to see Cabby, and and he is just enjoying the show. Right. Oh, it's the <laughs> highlight of his week. So happy. There's something about that. Maybe this is like two pinkies up, but like the idea that like this is a giant open air prison where it's like everyone else is in charge. And like there is a part of humanity that just like needs a musical. You know, I wrote the mm-hmm. note like even in like the worst of times, people love musicals. People will be creative. Like prisoners are still people too. Like that kind of vibe. Like that was yeah. sort of the, I thought was kind of interesting. Awesome. It's also New York, baby. They got musicals yeah. there. <laughs> Ernest Borgnine kind of on a crazy phase of his career at this time because uh, it's two years after his questionable Dude, turn. Airplane or something? What did he do? Poseidon Adventure? The Black Hole was 1979. Oh, yes. My God. Which seems like that might be one we have to cover, incidentally. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, he was in a weird moment. Adding uh, it to the at list. This time. Yeah, I, I enjoyed him. I was trying to figure it out. I was like, please don't tell me he's like 54 in this role. He was six, <laughs> he was 63, so. He's one year younger than age. <laughs> um, so, so Snake heads downstairs to try and figure out what's going on. And he stumbles upon like a, just a straight up assault that is happening that is very upsetting. And this is like a great character moment. He just does not care at all. He just keeps walking is not trying to make any problems and is on his way. And there's definitely something about how cynical and uncaring he is. Or that he has a bomb, two bombs in his head that he has very yeah. little time to get disarmed. Mm-hmm. 
fair enough. So he discovers that the tracker to the president is actually being worn by some street tough who's kind of like crazy. Um, and so he doesn't know what to do. And he ends up getting caught up on the crazies coming out. And he ends up hiding in Chock Full of Nuts, uh, a restaurant where he meets the girl in Chock Full of Nuts, plays by Season Hubley of um, Hardcore Fame. Have you ever seen that film, Chuck? Paul Schrader? Yeah. George C. Scott? Yeah. What's the deal with yeah, that? Yeah, Intense, yeah. right? Yeah, it is. It's like uh, a snuff film movie. Oh, spoilers. Okay. <laughs> Well, so Snake has to go on the run. The, the crazies like come up through the floor. They get hungry at the end of the month and they pull the, the woman that he's talking to through the floor. Snake's machine gun that is able to like shoot out a hole in drywall and then pop through and, and go like is so badass. Good gun. So Cabby picks him up and says that he's been a cabbie for 30 years. Out of those 30 years, presumably 10 of them are during this uh, you know, prison situation. But he says that the Duke of New York has the president. The Duke? The Duke of New York, eh, number one? The big man, that's who. That's real good. I want to meet this Duke. Are we meant to believe that Cabby just stayed behind after they made the prison? He was just like, no, this is is good for me. I'm sticking around. I think, I like like the idea that he just stayed there. Like, Mm -hmm, yeah. you know, what's he going to do? Where's he he going to go, St. Louis? Move out of there and... (laughs) What, become a real estate agent? I don't think so. (laughs) So Cabby takes Snake to go meet Brain and Maggie. They're up at the public library. And Snake looks a little nervous. And Cabby says, don't worry, Snake. It's a better neighborhood here. You can relax. This is like a scathing indictment of classism in America, basically. (laughs) I mean, the whole thing is about class warfare, right? Like that's the the underlying uh, context of this film and and the prison industrial complex. Mm-hmm. I thought, I mean, the opening that op- when they get to the, like to backtrack to the Statue of Liberty, it says Liberty Island Security Station. It's like Liberty and like this idea that it's like a security, oh, and security. station. It's just like, oh, it's yeah. like perfect. It's like, this is exactly the tone that this movie is shooting for. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So now we've arrived at the moment. Uh, my notes just say, Adrian, hello. So Adrian Barbeau as Maggie. So as I was scrambling today, I go to hit up Chuck. His Discord profile pick is literally Adrian Barbeau from Escape from New York. So tell us that? about your relationship with Maggie, please, Chuck. Oh, I don't I don't have a relationship with her. <laughs> I've never heard of her. Who is that woman? <laughs> uh I don't know. I change I think I changed that pick because there was some Adrian Barbeau talk in one of our Discords and uh Yeah, she's great. I mean, it, it's no secret that John Carpenter's ex now ex-wife. Um What? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, they were married. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's a secret to us. Mm. Sorry. Well, yeah. So yeah, John put his lady in the movie and um, mm. she's great. So we have the introduction of our boy, Harry Dean Stanton, playing Harold Hellman, aka Brain. And I just love Snake, his delivery. You know, we were buddies, Harold. You, me, and Fresno Bob. You know what they did to Bob? And and in the midst of asking him where to find the president, he says, don't fuck with me. I'll just beat it out of your squeeze. <laughs> yeah. That's a little tough talk. Tough guy talk. Times are tough. Yeah. <laughs> apparently the deal is, apparently in the Battle of Leningrad, or the new Battle of Leningrad, that's where Snake lost his eye and then ended up getting discharged and then bounced around outside of the military and then ended up going to Kansas City to pull this job for the Federal Reserve. What do we learn this in the movie? H, where are you getting this information? Yeah, <laughs> wikis. You got to read the wikis. This is from the, the wiki. novelization. Yeah, you no, they're, the novelization. It actually is from the novelization. Oh, um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's like, where are you pulling this from? I, I, I know. I this is only the first time I watched it. I was like, that's a lot of information I missed at some point watching this movie. Um, so they, uh, you know, established that Brain has a map to get across the 69th Street Bridge to get around the mines, and then they head out to go get the president. And so they steal a car from the Duke of New York. And they take Broadway to get out of there. So I just want to take a minute and talk about the musical cue for the Duke showing up and also the chandeliers on his car. The chandeliers are phenomenal. Phenomenal. That's an amazing detail. Shout out to whoever, whatever production design person was like, you know what this car needs? Chandeliers. Joe Alves, yes, doing it again. And it looks like instead of a rear view, he's got a disco ball. Fucking 
Genius mm. shit. Oh, it does. Right That's awesome. <laughs> oh my god. So they fight their way through, they get to the what president's snake, gets hit with an arrow. <laughs> and I love this concept from a character development, just the fact that he's now gonna be limping real hard for the rest of the movie. But he does immediately throw the blade and get the guy in the forehead, which like Big Trouble in Little China coming up um, shortly thereafter would be like a classic Jack Burton move. Mm. Really great. Mm -hmm. Brain sets him up, but then argues for him to be kept alive. And we have this nice moment. Snake crashes out and he wakes up and it's daytime. And you have New York outside and you have some sunshine and some passage of the day and then getting around to nighttime again, which was great. Yeah, gives a little chance to go out for a nice brunch in the West Village, get like a $25 omelet, maybe. <laughs> Just some, like, have a nice day. There's, there, every time I watch this movie, there's something about this movie where my brain does not hold on to it. And I just get, like, I forget. I forget all the people that show up and I forget everything that happens for some mm -hmm. reason every time I watch this. And it's, it's like a surprise every time. And, mm. and like, one character I noticed this time, how about uh, the Dukes, like, Romero? It's not like his right hand man, Romero but that fucking guy, phenomenal. that weirdo, the spiky hair like guy, creeping around. Yeah, with his the laugh. Pointy teeth. Yeah. Oh yeah. How how great is that character? <laughs> that guy. That guy's name is Frank Doubleday, and I was looking at his IMDb. He basically was never in anything ever again. Yeah. No. I mean. I mean. I don't know how that character was created. Like, was <laughs> yeah. he written like that in the script, or did he show up and he was like, you know what? This is it, John. Hey, John. I'm gonna I'm gonna build a character for you. Mm, like, he wrote vision. all these boring lines, but how, how about if I'm just a complete weirdo? He does this one thing where he points, like, as they're walking away, and he points oh, at them, yeah. like, backwards. And I was like, I, same idea. Like, I don't know who decided that that's the way he should yeah. walk, but this is, like, you're totally right on the money. The character is perfect, yeah. 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 Take note, movie makers. You don't make that guy the star of the movie either. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right. And we don't need all of his backstory. Yeah. He just is there. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and he's there He's there during a very important scene where, where, so let's talk about the Duke of New York, right? So we have Isaac Hayes, chef, so um, cool. as the Duke of New York. And in this moment, he's right. shooting, doing target practice at the president. And he's making the president say- <laughs> I can't hear you. You know, what did I teach you? You're the Duke of New York, A number one. I can't hear you. You are the Duke of New York, you're A number one. He's shooting at him and he shoots the briefcase and the tape pops out. So this is where Romero comes and notices that and picks up the tape. And this is what made me think, Chuck, this is, this is why you're destined to be here tonight, is the fact that cassette tapes play integral I know, the cassette tape uh, representation is just strong in this movie. I forgot how important it is. Mm. So Maggie and Brain are figuring out that the glider is on the World Trade Center. Did anybody else notice the way that Maggie was fondling her pistol while she was talking to Brain in that scene? No. 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 What did she do? Tell us about it. It's an extremely sensual scene. Describe it. Um, it's just like, she's like, she's literally stroking slowly. the barrel of the gun in a really inappropriate way. This is very uncomfortable while Brain is figuring out that the World Trade Center is the natural place to land the glider. So, wow, wow. Wild stuff. All right, well, we made it. We've made it to the gladiator match in Madison Square Garden. And my notes just say Kurt Russell's body. Is this the first time we see the tattoo? Mm. So cool. The happy trails tag. The cobra coming up from beneath his panty line. How about that? <laughs> so great. Uh, I remember when Escape from L.A. came out. I remember yeah. they were giving out fake tattoos <laughs> of the uh, the snake, oh, the snake tattoo. Yeah, nice. I thought that was pretty smart of them. That's That's amazing. Mm. A whole bunch of just nerdy look idiots walking around <laughs> yeah. the beach, all with all of these, all oh, of yeah, these yeah, magic yeah. fake tattoos. Oh so yeah, great. So he he shows up. Who's he fight? Who's the guy he's fighting in the gladiator? Ring? Ox Baker playing Slag. Is Ox Baker a professional wrestler? Yeah, he was like a real wrestler, right? I think so. I I couldn't find much information about him either, but like his presence at the goatee was great, and his face was amazing. Um, but I do love the Duke, uh, where where he gives us very extended. They sent in their best man. And when we roll down, we roll down the 69th Street Bridge tomorrow on our way to freedom, we're going to have that best man leading the way. Oh, oh yeah. That was good. From oh, the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. yeah. 
So I love this fight. I love, you know, the battle, like when they're hitting the baseball bats with the spikes together and they're like getting stuck. Mm. And then when he just brains him in the back of the head, that's like, oh man, all time. You feel it. Boink. You really feel that. (laughs) Mm. As the crowd chants, snake, snake. So cool. We do have Brain and Maggie kill Romero. And they get out of there, and they do have the president's tape at that point, which has the discovery that tritium creates only one millionth of the biological damage of iodine. So, Jason, Jason can you confirm? Yeah, yeah, please talk to us about fusion. Yeah, I mean, I think this is like, I think that's what the big kind of MacGuffin is, is that they've discovered fusion, and that's what's going to allow the United States to win the war, the Sino-Russian war. Is that the idea that's mm-hmm. going on here? Um, I will say on the topic of fusion, I've been, I have some friends who are in the fusion game, I guess. And it seems possible that fusion's actually going to work out that like in the next like 10 to 20 years, we're going to have this massive breakthrough in fusion and like, maybe everything's just going to be fine from an energy perspective. What's the key? What's the key to, to getting cold fusion? I don't, I don't think there's like a single key. I think like folks have just sort of been quietly working away at it for a while and it's kind of starting to, to show promise. So you heard it here first on Dune pod. (laughs) All right, so we're on final approach here. They head for the 69th bridge to be able to make their escape. Cabby driving them, being chased by the Duke of New York. Cabby buys it on a mine. Brain buys it on a mine. Maggie buys it. Uh, The Duke runs into her and smashes her against the car. That shot of her dead on the ground is like in somebody's basement. They did that as a pickup shot. Um, And it looked absolutely fucking fantastic. I love that. Wait, can I ask the newbies? Like, because mm-hmm. we're in the like the back half of the film. Were you guys getting bored at all? I mean, only because I have no attention span whatsoever <laughs> yeah. anymore. I don't. I don't blame the movie. I just think that like an hour, more than an hour, is tough for me to <laughs> commit to yeah. at this stage in my life. Um, so I was a little bored, yeah. but like I didn't blame the movie. I blame myself. It's not a long. Do you guys use movie. your phones while you're watching? It's a hundred minutes. Yeah. It's not that. It's not that long. But do you do you actually have your phones out while you're watching a movie? Because I take notes. That's for the, the problem. Movie. I, you I, do I, it I'm on the same, paper. No, I'm the same way. Get, get a notebook. I don't know how to write. I'm, I'm trying not to use all this paper. <laughs> you know, this is the problem. No, I like the thing is it's it's weird because it is a short movie, but I think the thing is part of it feels like it's treading water some of the time. Like he gets to the president right away, which is sort of like the crux of his mission. And then it draws out that escape, which is it's a, the escape yeah. of New York. So that makes yeah. sense. But I think it, it, if they sort of had made him getting to the president more complicated and then having like after having him making the escape with him shorter, I think would have like helped with the pacing. But by the time I, f- I got to the end, I was like, there was a couple scenes that I knew that I had started taking a note and then drifted off on my phone and like went back to watch it. And then going back to watch it, those scenes fills everything in and it makes a lot more sense. But I did find like in the back half, just being like, I know what we're doing. I know where we're going. Can we get there now? If this was, and, yeah, if this yeah. was made in 2022, this movie would be two hours and 22 minutes long. And right? also bad. Ugh. And bad. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You know, now that we're, we're now in the middle of our carpenter journey, I think like he just has a very deliberate, style when it comes to suspense Mm -hmm. and it's echoed by his score choices and his camera movement choices it's just this very like like it's it's meant to be kind Mm. of relentless Mm. um and if it was just i'm just not used to watching that pace somehow in in this style of movie like i mean i love slow movies generally but for like a campy science fiction movie to move at that speed uh, it, it sort of misfires in my brain a bit. Mm. Well, this final, to me, this final approach across the bridge and the wall is actually, I think, moves pretty quickly. You have this those guys. This is where it picked up for me. Yeah. Like once, the, once they hit the bridge, you're like, oh. And they just oh, start so. killing people. Well, yes. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. You're like, wait, all the characters that I've been getting to know are now dead. And like, when did that all happen and why? And he, and he quickly, Snake quickly gets the president up and over the wall. 
the 50-foot wall on the other end of the bridge, and then Snake gets stuck halfway as the president goes off with the with the machine gun, killing the Duke of New York. I Ugh. love that. But then Snake- I hated that. <laughs> Did you say you hate that? that? I yes, hated tyr- that. Yeah. Chuck's, Chuck's not going to support the tyranny of the state like that. <laughs> exactly. He's, he's, he's <laughs> the, ultimate, the ultimate abuse of executive power. Yeah. That's not Chuck's speed yeah. for sure. Yeah, I did not like that. I, I also felt like it was sort of Fair. short-sighted on Snake's part, given his, you know, prowess for the job that he has like taken on, that he would knock that dude out and just leave the gun for him. Not seemed kill him. like yeah. super short. Not even necessarily. You don't have to kill him, but you don't he had leave 92 the gun. Seconds. He had ninety-two seconds left. He was like, you can, Snake- you, the gun was in his hand, and then he could just keep going and hold the gun. It just seemed weird that he would then oh, drop yeah. it right beside him. This guy that. He no, barely knocked out, you know. Come on, Snake, you're smarter than that. I've seen it. I've seen it. I don't know. I, I mean, that's a tough choice. Do you run or shoot? Because your you heart's shoot. about to explode. You don't have to shoot. Just you take just have to run with, with you. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. That's fair. Oh, 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 So Snake gets up and over the wall and has to give the tape up in order to get the neutralizing of the bombs. And in the end, they do. And there's two seconds left. To me, Jason, I was thinking of the... Um, in war games when Joshua's getting the launch codes and like it's ca- mm. he's got six, he's got seven. I like that those I like that the way in which they diffuse the carotid artery bombs is just to like X-rays. irradiate his fucking neck. <laughs> like just be like, just stand still for a minute. We're just gonna fucking <laughs> blast you. Zap you with the radons. Yeah. Mm. That's great. So so Chuck, I assume you really liked how the president was so thoughtful in his final discussion when Snake asked him how he felt about everyone dying to get him out. Oh, I mean, how I feel like they would no one would write that into a movie and he has nothing to say. Nothing. nothing. He didn't even have any like a politician's answer. No. No. Mm-hmm. He's Which learned nothing. Awesome. Like, from jettisoning himself out of the pod and just being like, suckers, yeah. I'm out. And it's like you'd think he'd been through this traumatic experience. That he would have like gained some personal insight or anything, but yeah, like five minutes but, before he he was having a you know a meltdown while he shot uh, the Duke, you know, with the machine gun. Can I can I offer a counterpoint though? Yeah, go ahead. Which is from a staffing perspective, I was very impressed about the <laughs> turnaround time of the president's communication staff, who was able to like show up as soon as he got out of the prison rescue. Get the makeup. makeup on him, get the shirt on him, had the teleprompter ready to go. It's difficult to pull off like a live, like direct to camera event like that with just no prep time whatsoever. And he also was just ready to deliver that speech, even though he'd gone through a big trauma event. So that shows at least a level of professionalism in this White House that I think we can all support as Americans. <laughs> <laughs> My God. That wow. was incredible. Wow. Trying to end the Sino-Russo war. It's for the people. So Snake has a quick talk with, with Hawk, and I love Hawk says, you gonna kill me now, Snake? You gonna kill me now, Snake? And he says, I'm too tired. And says the name's Pliskin instead of Snake. Um, as the president comes on and gives his speech. Although I shall not be present at this uh, historic summit meeting, I present this in the hope that our great nations may learn to live in peace. And he goes to play his nuclear fusion tape, which Snake has flipped out and replaced with American Bandstand. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that part Amazing. of staffing competence. There's, yeah. there's, one, there's one downside. Should have checked right. that tape. Should have checked the tape. Obviously, you checked the tape. So, Chuck, the shot of Snake just walking away, pulling the tape out with a smile and a little bit of laugh, like, that's just like the ultimate anti-hero moment. Yeah, great ending. That's all you need. Walking off into the sunset. Yeah. And potentially dooming society and then the world. Is it a society worth saving, H, Mm. I ask you? Is it a society (laughs) worth saving? Mm. President of what? Yeah. Jason, your final thoughts and your rating for Escape from New York. I enjoyed this movie. I was a little bored. I'm glad Chuck asked a question about that because I, I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, poop on it. But I'm glad we were able to have that discussion. I really respect sort of uh, just how complete a world it tried to build here. You know, for the time, 1981, to do something like this uh, is pretty remarkable. We talked about sort of all the effect shortcuts they used, um, and and Kurt Russell's 
a tremendous, you know, action movie star in this and kind of, you know, comes out of nowhere, essentially. Um, So there's lots to say in its favor. It's just not watching it from 2021's perspective, like the whatever the pacing or the format that really works for me. But I'll still give it a, a solid three stars. I think I gave Prince of Darkness two and a half, and this is better than that. So. All right. Three stars. Chuck. Uh, I'll give it a five. It's a five. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Five banger. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said before, it, you know, every time I watch this, I kind of, it's almost like hitting reset. Uh, mm. and I, I just get sucked into it again and I notice new stuff. And even though I know what's going to happen, I still get surprised by, by everything that happens. And the score is phenomenal. Oh, geez. We didn't even talk about the score. I yeah. Mean, the score mm. is good. It oh, is good. God. I mean, I, I'm a freak who just listens to that, you know, when I'm doing, you know, work. I mean, Jason talked about the score. It's just that deliberate theme that pops up the whole time. It's so, mm. it's just great. It's great. Amazing. Catcher. This is the first time I've seen it. So I think if I've watched it a couple more times with not my phone, like not trying to take notes, just but really like paying attention, I think it might go up a little bit more. But I think for me, like at three stars, like, it is fun. There, there is like such a great energy to it. Like I said, like there's um, a humor that I really enjoyed and like really miss in movies now. I kind of wish there was like a Escape from New York, like the Warriors crossover somehow. Mm. That would be awesome. I believe uh, Bat and Spider covered that movie. Hell yeah, what? you did. What? Yeah. What's that called? Escape from the Bronx? Oh yeah. yeah. It's called okay. Escape from Bronx. Yeah. Did you watch that? I, I didn't watch it, no. So that's what I should then watch then. Yeah, imagine what you just pitched me but made by Italians. <laughs> oh, so that's perfect. Nice. Well, I would love to spend more time in this universe. Like I would like to see the war. I would like to see what the world looks like outside of this. I'd like to see about the underground and the National Liberation Front. So I could definitely see like a four season, 10 episode premium television series of Snake Plissken. Um, mm. Like, I actually think that would be pretty dope. And there's there's a lot of room to, to mine there. Ultimately, I would say this is a four star film for me. I absolutely love it. And I think it's important and wonderful and beautiful. It is a little bit slow and somewhat goofy from time to time, but it's it's absolutely fantastic. Great film. Jason, who would Tilda Swinton play? I would like to see her as the president. Mm. Is my is my choice? I think it would be interesting to see. <laughs> that was her. mine. I well. thought the same thing. Yeah, mm. I think it could be sort of like a reprise of her Michael Clayton role. Yeah, um, yep. like in which she's sort of like in theory in charge, but also very cowardly. And like when her back's up against the wall, it like kind of all falls apart for her. Mm. I think it would be tremendously, tremendously good. Chuck, let's do it. Uh, I think she would make, actually, you know what? She would be a good Hulk, the, uh, uh, Lee Van Cleef role, you know? Wow. Mm. Wow. Special forces. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that would be fun to see her in that role. Jason Mm, has long longed to see her in uniform. Uh, I want to see her in uniform. mm. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to see Tilda Swinton as an air marshal or something. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or cabbie also could be interesting. Oh, like to get oh. her, like to like sort of like really play it up a little would be kind of. Oh, fun. that's good. Nice. That's good. I, I guess the other wild card that I'll call out is Tilda Swinton as Romero. Yeah, Let's... that's a good choice. It would sort of be like her, what we do in shadows, or not what we do in shadows, but the other vampire, the mm-hmm. only lovers left alive, uh, vampire role, Didn't like see it. sort of where she's Didn't... sort of deranged. That's a Jarmushi one, I think. Didn't see it. I need to see that. Hmm. All right, here we go, guys. Let's get into some letters. Jim Bonner, I just had to call real quick about the uh, vacation episode, Prince of Darkness, which was a fantastic episode. I love Prince of Darkness. It definitely feels like Carpenter's kind of uh, Euro-Italian film, you know? It kind of has a, a Fulci vibe to it with the weird kind of plot and the strange stilted acting and especially the special effects and uh, it's a great soundtrack. I have a copy of the soundtrack that uh, Death Waltz put out um, years ago. I'll put it in the Discord. And, uh, of course, uh, I was a little disappointed that we had three white males on there who couldn't name, like, more than one or two Alice Cooper songs. It's kind of a bummer. <laughs> but, hey, you know, it's 
whatever you're into, that's cool. Uh, huge Al Cooper fan. And uh, speaking of singing, thinking of H doing that a cappella <laughs> 501 Blues commercial, I wonder if uh, H maybe also did his own rendition of Bruce Willis's Seagram's Golden Wine Cooler song for any type of competition where he could have won a ribbon or a trophy or something. Uh, and last bit of info Negative. is I actually saw John Carpenter in concert in 2016, which was an amazing live retrospective. I also saw Alice Cooper in concert in 2016. Not together, of course, but that was a great show, too. Anyway, that's it. I'll call back about uh, Escape from New York. All right. Thank you, Corey. Amazing. That was great. 2016, a good year for Corey concerts. Yeah. Can you believe we're going to see Corey in the flesh in less than a live. month? We're going to... We're going to see live Corey. We're going to be able to smell him. Wow, Corey's so coming out? Chuck, yeah, he's coming out. Are you coming Amazing. out to the Dune Pod free screening <laughs> October 21st nope. in San Francisco? Nope. No, I'm not. Catcher, <laughs> are you coming out for the Dune Pod free screening on October 21st in San Francisco? No. Okay, no pressure. No sorry pressure. about that. <laughs> All right. Listen, I would, love to, I would love to be there. Don't worry about it. Yeah, Don't. Sorry. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Kev, our next our next letter writer is coming. All right, here we go. Escape from New York. Hey guys, first off, apologies for no voicemail. I'm not getting home until after the show tonight, so the audio quality just wasn't where it usually is. You guys deserve the best, and believe me, I tried. I had a bunch written about Escape from New York, but I went back and listened to the Prince of Darkness episode. At the end, H claims that Escape from New York is the first collaboration between Carpenter and Russell. That's I didn't say that. I didn't say that. In fact, their first collab was the made-for-TV <laughs> epic Elvis. Get him. Have you heard of this? It's a no-frills three-hour movie about Elvis, and because of that, it's probably the weirdest movie Carpenter made. Russell's uncanny as the king, though. They did a great job on the Shout Factory Blu-ray a few years back. In local news, oh, this is bad. After the ticket cancellation debacle with the New York Film Festival, I am back on track to see Dune next Saturday night. No Denny mm. in person, but still much to be excited about. Thanks so much as always, your man in New York, Kev. Kev. How come everyone gets to see Dune like 12 weeks early? <laughs> what the hell is going on? But that is wild shit. The New York Film Festival sold a bunch of tickets and then just like emailed people and was like, lol, those tickets are dead. You're refunded. Go pound sand, oh, um, which, is, which is not cool. So anyways, Kev, thank you for writing in. And we're so excited to see you in San Francisco next month. Here's hmm. our final voicemail for the night. Pod, hey, it's Corey from Austin, Texas, calling about Escape from New York. <laughs> uh, there's probably not much I could add to this conversation that you guys have already had on this show. It's a stone-cold classic. Everything about it's great. So let's just jump to it. Who would Tilda Swinton play? My gut says Romero. That mm -hmm. Frank Doubleday's character there, he is wild, and I think she could really bring something to that. But my heart says hot. Lee Van Cleef's character. Mm. I think she'd really be uh, pretty dynamite as that is. Uh, That's a good choice. Snake's ex-partner and all. Anyway, which is all from the novel and the cutscenes and all that. Anyway, all right, guys. Uh, I'm sure this is a fantastic episode. I'm really looking forward to hearing it. Take care. Mm. Cutscenes. Corey and H intertwine there. Did you not mention both of those people? H. No, no. Yeah. Somebody else said Hawk. Chuck said Hawk. Oh, right. Yeah, I did. But I, I love the fact that Hawk is also Special Forces. Texas Thunder uh, was his unit as opposed to Black Light or whatever. Uh, just the details that, that were dropped in there were amazing. All right, you guys, we did it. Catcher, what do you have to plug, my friend? It's time for a Dune Pod <laughs> tape deck exclusive announcement of the return date and featured movie for Cenonauts Season 2. Go. We are days away from an announcement about our release. That's all I'll say. That's all I'm allowed wow. to legally say. Do you remember, Jason, Catcher was on Dune Pod. I think it was like the, it might have been like the Call Me By Your Name episode. He literally yeah. was on our podcast. And the next day after we recorded, they launched Synonauts. And he yeah. did not tell us. It's true. This is not his. This is not the platform he brings his sit and not news to. Obviously, and that's fine. We're glad to have him at all. I'm not um, in charge. I'm. Not, I'm yeah, just the guy that draws the pictures. That's it. <laughs> I'm, that's all I do. 
And whenever they tell, whenever Boom and Ian tell me I can say things, then I do that. Yeah, it's coming soon. We we we're all waiting. And it's going it. to be great. It'll be great, and everyone will love it. And we'll be back, and we'll be firing on all cylinders. You know, great. but you know, we need to take our time. Senonauts, we miss you. We love you, Ian. Come home, Chuck. Are you familiar with this little thing called vinegar syndrome? You hear about these guys? Yeah. They do yeah. like what incredible, like some of the greatest film releases of movies. <laughs> film releases of movies. Well, oh, yeah, the releases are great, but the movies are terrible. Well, I heard about this movie called For <laughs> Mad Men Only. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you tell us about this, Chuck, please? Uh, well, oh, this is going to get convoluted. So, <laughs> this is not, it's not Vinegar Syndrome. They, they distribute this other company called Utopia. Utopia is releasing a movie called Four Mad Men Only, which is a great documentary on uh, the wonderful Del Close, who, mm. if you don't know who he is, he, he's like, he basically invented modern improv, right? And uh, trained every, probably every comedian you've ever seen on SNL mm-hmm. uh, and everywhere else. At Second City in Chicago, right? Yeah. And, and his own theater he, he made after he left there. And yeah, he was a very interesting guy. He also did comic books for dc called wasteland which are very weird books um and i was lucky enough to be asked by the folks at vinegar syndrome uh to draw a slip cover for this movie oh cool so that's awesome yeah that's uh i i think people are starting to get them in their hands now so if you order one from uh vinegar syndrome.com you'll you'll get one quick and it's gorgeous the artwork is beautiful improv is great chuck is a noted improv enthusiast <laughs> Uh, and part-time I local... backtracked on my improv hate after watching this movie, okay? <laughs> it's a beautiful it's cover. A, it's a fine art form. Awesome. And, uh, and of course, for Chuck, we, we know Bat and Spider, you guys are always right around the corner with another amazing episode. Oh, yeah. Tomorrow we're dropping uh, an episode on The Initiation, uh, an 80s slasher. Just quickly, sorry, just quickly. If you are listening to this right now and you are, have not listened to Bat and Spider, you need to... St- Wait till this episode is done. Good. It's only a few seconds left. <laughs> Finish it. And then go download literally any episode you want. It's like one any of my episode. favorite shows ever. It's so great. The two of you guys make the best show ever. So funny. That's all. Um, and Chuck, by the way, I just wanted to formally extend. I, I hinted about this earlier. We had mm-hmm. Chuck and Dale from Bat and Spider here for Lost Highway earlier this year. And I really would like to invite you two to come back for David Lynch's Wild at Heart. Um, oh, I know you've read wow. the Sailor and Lula wow. books, and uh, and and I I really I want no, you to I come haven't back. read them. Okay, you I haven't read them. But... You talked about them last time you were yeah, you were yeah, here, yeah, so that yeah. that got me fired up for it. But anyways, I, I'm excited about that, and would love to have you guys come back. Mm. Dale is not ready for that. <laughs> Dale <laughs> cannot handle it. All right, we did it. Good work, everybody. Good job. Thanks for doing it, you guys. Oh my yeah. god, yeah, it was a blast. I'm just glad I could like take it off the list of movies I need to watch. It was great. It was so much fun. And that's it for this episode of Dune Pod. I want to thank Jason, Chuck, and Catcher for an amazing conversation. Next week, visual effects legend from Industrial Light and Magic, Lorelai David, joins us as John Carpenter and Kurt Russell's collaboration reaches its apex with 1982's The Thing. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help. Leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts as it really helps new listeners find the show. You can find our full movie set list on Letterboxd. And if you want to support them by upgrading to pro or patron status, use promo code DUNEPOD at checkout to save 20%. DUNEPOD is a tape deck podcast, John, a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. Clips and transcripts were provided by Sophie Shin. The episode was edited by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio and produced by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week. Did you guys know, I probably should have said this on the pod, that John Carpenter won a lawsuit over this movie? For what? Because oh. Luke Basson made a movie called Lockout in 2012. In space? Oh. Yeah, yeah, and apparently oh. I've never seen it. Apparently, oh. it's just Escape from New York, and he successfully sued Luke Basson. Oh wow! Really? Uh, for basically stealing the story. Yeah. Way, way to go, <laughs> yeah. Luke. <laughs>